Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational, sometimes inspirational, and always entertaining on Stacy Connects. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Stacy Heller, and this is Stacy Connects. This show is about making connection through conversation. It is about asking questions instead of making assumptions, and it's about engaging with the elephant in every room. Today's elephant, <laughs> I did this last week too. Uh, today, my guest is Steve Has. Say hello, Steve. Hello, Stacy. <laughs> so in the intro where it talked about how I'm inspirational and and all these things, you were shaking your head no. <laughs> It was more shrugging than shaking. Okay. All right. Whatever. Anyway, welcome to the show. We will chat more with Steve in just a minute here. Uh, I just want to take a moment to say whether you listen to the show live or later via bo- uh, podcast, thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing, rating, leaving a comment uh, on whichever platform you listen I so appreciate it. And if you would like to chat live, I'm basically going on a two and a half year streak of my mother being the only one that has ever called in. Um, And that's cool. I love mom. Hi, mom. Um, And other people could call, too. So the number to do that is 425-373-5527. Otherwise, if you want to shoot me a text or leave me a voicemail. The number is 475-999-2726. Okay. So, as I said, my guest today is Steve Has. He is a longtime friend. Mm-hmm. Two of our kids overlap in school. And so, you know, it's that whole, like, friend group. You meet somebody because the kids are friends. And then it's like... I feel like it's this weird, like, couple starting to date, like, hey, you want to go out and hang out and whatever. And uh, Steve and I have a particularly, I don't know, unique friendship because we have a friendship between the two of us that is really even independent of our spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love having some conversations with Steve about uh, his passion, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Um and we've had some really great open conversations, which I really appreciate. So do I. Well, there you go. Okay. Um, now, before we get into the meat of the conversation, it's time for the appetizer, otherwise known as conversations and observations from my past week. <laughs> Everybody just loves this part. Uh, so, hey, I got an office off-site, out of my house, away from my family, I'm so excited about it. It is tiny. It's like, it's, for context, Steve, it is about the size of the martini room at our house, a little longer. So not terribly big. I don't need it to be. I just need it to not be in the house where the cats are asking to come in and asking to go out, where neighbors are knocking on the door, where I can hear the kids or the crumbs on the counter are annoying me. Or I can hear Pete and he comes out after a meeting and assumes that I'm available to chat and I'm actually working. So 
uh, per the advice of, I think it was Virginia Woolf that wrote it, I got a room of my own. Right. And it's going to be so cute. And by the way, for uh, Pete, who's totally not listening right now, I got more walls to fill with art. So, ha ha. Um, I'm actually really excited about it. And uh, today I went in and I don't have my Wi-Fi set up. But fun thing happened. I scrolled all the way down. I'm in a work loft uh, situation. So there's a ton of people with their own individual Wi-Fi. And when you scroll all the way down to the bottom, it says hidden network. And it was open. So not really hidden, just people got lazy and gave up. And so scrolling all the way to the bottom, I found an open network. And so I was able to work in my office. And I am, it was so much fun. I had to like put my feet up on the desk, although I am putting up uh, curtains. And did you know that there's a tension rod thing that you can use to put up curtains so that you don't leave any marks in the wall? That's new for you? Yeah. Well, okay, but not like, okay, smarty, not like that kind of a tension rod thing. Like it has like the finials at the end and it'll go, okay, you're like nodding like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, no, no kidding. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. We're not window treatment people. We just don't have them, uh, except upstairs in, like, you know, the bedroom and, like, bathroom and that kind of thing. But otherwise, we're like, whatever, you want to look in, that's your problem. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, so, hey, out there, apparently you can put up window treatments without using a screwdriver. But you do need a second person. And so that's how I'll be spending my date night tonight with my other person. Um Okay, speaking of my other person, so hey, Pete's old. Um, it's okay because he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> so the rule is if you don't listen to the show, then I get to talk about you. Fair game. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, yesterday he turned 60. Mm-hmm. And we went out to dinner as uh, a family. Will is in California, so he couldn't join us. But the ones that could gather did, plus a couple of extra. And... We were asking him, how old do you feel? And he said he feels about 30. That's pretty good. It's impressive. Right? I mean, you know, and it was an interesting conversation because then Charlie, of course, to my left was like, I feel 30. I'm (laughs) like, well, you don't act it. (laughs) And if you're 30, then you need to move out. (laughs) Because it very much felt like wedding crashers with, mom, get me some meatloaf. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Um. But it was kind of an interesting thing to think about, uh, you know, where you are, you know, he barely has any gray hair. And intellectually, he's like, he's pretty quick still. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need a walker. <laughs> Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, happy birthday, Pete. He's, uh, for his birthday, he is getting uh, a real office. He's been sitting in the back room that is the guest room, mom's room, really. And we decided it was time for him to have a real office. And so we're getting a Murphy bed that has like the uh, bookshelves next to it. Mm -hmm. And so then he's not sitting in front of a bed all the time Uh. when he's working. You know, it's time. And so that is his birthday present, that and cleaning out the garage Uh, so that he can once again have his gym back because he is all about quality time and acts of service and he would never ask for anything for himself. And so I decided to just to do it for him. 
Yeah, we need a healthy Pete. He may feel 30, but physically he's not 30. Um, And, okay, the other thing is uh, my stasism. Every week I share some bit of white-labeled wisdom that I've completely stolen from someone else. (laughs) And uh, actually, this one I did not, but I did share this at my B&I meeting last week. Uh, I had an opportunity to share an educational moment and – uh, or actually what we call the BNI purpose. And when I used to do the educational moment, I would uh, read a children's book, and then I would sort of tell the moral of the story as it relates to business. Now, some people fancy themselves very serious uh, business owners and felt that that was not necessarily an appropriate educational moment. I disagree. I'm no longer the educational coordinator. <laughs> So it was my time to shine once again. And I shared a book by Peter Reynolds called uh, The Dot. And the premise of the book is a young girl who's in art class and she can't draw. She's struggling. And her teacher just encourages her, just like, do something. Like, just make some mark. So she stabs the piece of paper and leaves a dot. And the teacher says, great, now sign it. And so... The little girl's like, well, I can sign my name. So she does that. And when she comes back into the classroom next week for art class, there is her dot with her signature in a frame. The teacher has framed it. And so this young girl, her name is Vashti, she's like, well, I can do better than that. I mean, for God's sakes, if I'm going to have something framed. And so over the course of the next days, weeks, however long it transpires, she explores dots. And, you know, first, like, with one color and then mixing colors and then the absence of color and so on and so forth. And then she has a whole show at the art show and all of her pictures are up and a little boy approaches her and says, "Um, wow, I wish I could draw like you can. And she says, I'm sure you can. And he says, I can't even draw a line. And she's like, prove it. And so he draws a line and she says, sign it. Now, I've just told you the whole premise of this book. The point that I was making about it is that – Uh, whatever it is that we're meant to do in life, whether it's our passion or our profession, we need to make a mark and we need to sign it, own it, make it our own, right? And it may not be the final iteration of what it is that we're doing. And there may be some evolution and growth and discovery uh, and exploration that takes place throughout the process, but own it from the beginning and then you'll see this tremendous growth. And that's something that has happened with my business. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't really. Uh, But I own it. And here I am, uh, however many years later, and I have an office. So, right? With curtains. With Well, they're not up yet. But yes, in theory, there will be curtains. So, uh, So the point is, you know, you may not know what your mark is, but just put something down and own it. And uh, and then you can grow into it. And it is just as valid as if you know exactly what you're doing from the beginning, which, by the way, the people that say they know that they're lying. Um, OK. So hi to mom. Hi to the glop. Hi to Ginny. Uh, she's got a whole crew, Steve, that listen, they have like they have cocktails and then they get uh, even Eric knows this dinner from Trey Fatelli and uh, not sponsored, frankly, should be. And uh, they listen to the show. They all sort of talk through it. But mom likes it when I mention her. So I make sure to do that. 
And then she sometimes calls Eric and has something to say to him. And he's usually like, I'll pass along the message. And and then we go on from there. It's a whole process. It's a love language thing. I see that. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Let's take a break. And then when we come back, I am going to be chatting with Steve about financial literacy. We'll be right back with Stacey Connects. Do you feel challenged by the thought of getting ready every day? Want to make a great first impression, but don't feel your wardrobe represents who you really are? Does the thought of trying to find great clothing that fits your body and lifestyle have you overwhelmed? Michael Bruce Image Consulting is a premier image consulting company that can help you get your style back on track. Contact them at michaelbruceimageconsulting.com or call them at 425-214-4155 and start that conversation today. Stacy Connects, it's not just my business, it's my superpower. Whether you need the right tone and messaging for a new venture or you've plateaued with your current one, I can help. I connect clients with themselves and their potential. Then I identify unique solutions that translate your brand into messaging that connects your target audience with your business. Go to stacyconnects.com to connect with me and your messaging. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Stacey Connects. I'm Stacey Heller. I am joined today by my friend, Steve Hess. So, okay, financial literacy. Uh, This is something that you and I have spoken about. We've got kids that are the same age uh, and... I have this thing that Eric and I have talked about on the show or I have talked about and Eric has subjected himself to uh, about a a school of sorts that it's about like soft skills, mm-hmm. right? Like how to interview, how to talk with people, kind of a cross between um, Phoenix and Masterclass and all of this. And Eric is used to all of my wacky ideas, but even he had to admit this was kind of a good one, right? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are just, you know, whether the master class is like, you know, one. I I think a lot of these skills should just be taught in public school. You know, it's part of a regular curriculum. But uh, yeah, well, yeah. uh, Amen. (laughs) And it's not happening. But, you know, barring that, then a special school for all that would be fine, too. Right. (laughs) And, you know, and something that you can either pay or somebody pays for you or whatever it is. So anyway, one of the things that I am convinced needs to be a part of it is financial literacy. And I mean, everything from like how to open a checking account and, you know, savings account when you're whatever age mm-hmm. um, to, you know, knowing about saving for the future to all of this stuff. So this is something you and I bonded Credit over. cards would be a big one. I yes. Would think. Mm-hmm. Credit yes. cards, debt, retirement. I mean, the list goes on and on. Right. And Mm -hmm. kids really aren't, you know, they, at least in the school district that our kids uh, went to school, they had um, like the the day where they went and it was like, we're going to learn to be a business and Mm -hmm. all the things it takes to be a business. And then in, I think, middle school, uh, they then go to this basically the same place and they're like, now I'm the employee and Mm -hmm. I have, it's like playing live action life. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, they learn how to balance a checkbook, you know, something that they will never, ever do. Uh, and yet 
the skills associated with that, it's a lost art. We were saying Very. before the break, like, you know, these days you don't really know how much you have and you you do Apple Pay or you just tap and mm-hmm. you have no idea what's left. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it doesn't just automatically fill up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where did this come from for you? So I don't have a professional background in anything related to financial literacy. It's always just been a passion of mine. Um my background is in retail, and while I worked with numbers, it had nothing to do with this passion. Um, it it kind of came to me through a convergence of things. I'd, I'd always had an interest in where you're going, which is an awareness that kids aren't learning it. Um, and they don't learn it either because their parents don't teach them uh, or because their parents do teach them and kids inherently don't listen to their parents. Both of those are very real, and a lot of the kids I've worked with recently, uh, it's clear that schools do not teach it. And I think it's become more painfully clear that it's a gap in what we're teaching kids. You know, we teach them cursive and we teach them lots of things that they may or not may or may not ever use, yet they don't know how to balance a checkbook or open a bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, where this really came sort of to the forefront for me was I, in my last job before I started working for myself, I had a couple of young women who worked on my team come into my office who were in their early to mid-20s, mm-hmm. making good salaries, and knew absolutely nothing about personal finance. And were very self-aware of it and closed the door and somewhat sheepishly said, will you teach us? And I thought, and my first question was, well, how did you get this far? And, and the answer is you, right. you, you get to a point where it's assumed that you know it, it's embarrassing to ask it, and I don't know where to start because I don't really have a resource. There is so much overwhelming information out there, most of which is either conflicting for profit or illegal, um, that the the number of wrong turns you can take become pretty clear pretty quickly. And they were just looking for a common sense approach. So these young women and I spent probably six or eight sessions together and just went through basic stuff. Um, You know, they had some college debt and they weren't sure how that worked. And they were starting to use credit cards and they weren't sure if they were doing that right. Mm -hmm. And they had accounts that someone had opened for them 15 years ago, and we looked at whether or not those still made sense. So it just led me to this idea that there's a real need. And I started working with probably 12 to 15 college, recent college graduates now, uh, Mm -hmm. your son being one of them, Mm -hmm. um, and built sort of a very loose curriculum of like eight different topics that if you knew about all of those, you'd be pretty well grounded. It's budgeting, it's spending, it's credit cards, it's debt, it's what kind of accounts you need. It's how to think about retirement. It's that, you know, if you ever want to buy a house, here's how a mortgage works. Just mm-hmm. foundational things, none of which are hard in and of themselves. But when you put them all together and start asking people questions, if you don't know, it's really overwhelming. And it just kind of breaks it down to a common sense. Let me give you the basics. I, I'm never dispensing investment advice, but it is, right. here's what this term means. Here's why you might choose this over that. Here's the options that are out there. It goes all the way back to, I think about when each of our kids turned 16, you know, they maybe had done some babysitting or, you know, whatever kind of work. But it was like, okay, you're 16. You can go get a job now. And, you know, and you get the text that's like, so for taxes, Mm -hmm. like, what do I? How many deductions do I put? Right. Right. You know, like how many deductions? And, you know, and, you know, for direct auto pay, Mm -hmm. you know, how do I do that? 
And those, I mean, it starts really with that stuff Mm -hmm. that, you know, there are some kids that get a job and they don't even have an account yet to Mm -hmm. have auto pay. And they don't necessarily have somebody to even answer the question about deductions Mm -hmm. and what any of that means. And and you're right. It is you do feel sheepish as a 20 something not really knowing. Um, But then it's it's just like uh, literacy in general. Right. You kind of you get through Mm -hmm. because you can figure it out and contextually you figure it out. And then before you know it, you're nodding at conversations as though you know what people are talking about. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and this one is I mean, literacy in general is such an important thing. But the financial literacy piece, you know, it's like the world doesn't look the way that it did when you and I growing up, when Mm -hmm. our parents were growing up. There's Mm -hmm. no guarantees um, anymore. No, and the the problem is that none of this has to be hard. It's very easy to complicate it, but in its purest form, this stuff is all pretty simple. It's just a matter of having someone who can explain it to you in an unbiased, not-for-profit approach that just has the desire of you understanding this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's moving money from where it's something that happens to you to something that you can control and act with in confidence. And as you know, kids start to earn a little more money, um, the end of the decisions they make actually matter. And I think it's super empowering to understand that here's what I'm doing or I have a plan and I understand the logic behind it and I can see where it will take me versus just I make money and I put it in the bank and I don't really do anything with it because I don't know what I could do. Um, you know, you get a pretty stark contrast of what that looks like 10 and 20 years down the road, depending on some of the decisions they make at this point. So this reminds me a little bit of, you know, those commercials out there for, uh, I don't even know what Noom is or whatever that dietary mm-hmm. supplement or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. right? And the the current uh, ads are like, oh, it turns out, you know, you're a eat everything until your plate is finished person or a you crave exotic foods person. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of like, there's the people who like Grace, my daughter, mm-hmm. who if you're ever strapped for cash go into her closet because mm-hmm. you'll find money in her pockets mm-hmm. like she just it's like even if it's like a buck or a couple quarters or whatever <laughs> like you'll find money it's awesome mm-hmm. and then you have somebody like will and annie uh my other two kids that know where every dollar is and you know and even then between them like annie will spend money and will will spend it in theory, but he will mm-hmm. never pull the trigger and actually buy anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, do you think that there's personality types that then is how you approach your financial outlook? Oh, I think there's nothing more individual than how people view a relationship with money. Um, I, my dad was a writer after being in the investment business and with a psychiatrist friend of his wrote a book about the psychology of the stock market. Um, You know, how given the same situation, people view it differently based on a myriad of things they bring to the equation. Um, Money has everything from ego to status to comfort to who I am, what I stand for, everything attached to it, whether it's real or otherwise. There's probably nothing more sort of image forming for most people than, than money. So yeah, we all bring a lot of baggage or at least complexity to sort of how we view money and what we hope it does for us or what it says about us. Um, yeah, I mean, and and people's risk tolerance or need for comfort, you know, a psychiatrist could have a field day with these things. I've, I've worked with kids who 
I'm really stretching to get them to take an almost six-figure salary and get to a break-even budget. Mm-hmm. And then there's others like your son where I said to to Will one day, you got to live more. Like there's you're <laughs> making a fair amount of money and you got to spend some of it. Like what you're doing is admirable and we would be way better as a country if people saved like you, <laughs> but you're working too hard to not be enjoying this at all. So right. it's a wide spectrum that people uh, – people attach to how they approach money. And it's it's got complexities that are way beyond what they understand about money or how much they make. When besides the the issue of lack of financial literacy being taught, you know, at home, you know, I'm I'm guilty of being that person that, you know, was like, what am I supposed to do for deductions? Like mm-hmm. at the beginning of the job and mm-hmm. and then I got married really young. Mm-hmm. And so and Pete being older, it was like Great, he can take care of it, and mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know, which that's a whole nother area that you and I have talked about, right? Yep. Uh, but it's it's like there's a certain conversation that takes place at home, but interestingly, it doesn't always. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because we're so concerned with did you get your homework done, and hey, kids, don't do drugs, and you right. know, no teen pregnancies, right? Um, and so the financial piece, you're kind of like, oh yeah, and by the way, um. It can just get taken care of. It doesn't ever come to the forefront where it needs to be addressed like other things do. Right. So then the school piece, you mm-hmm. know, they're missing an opportunity there for those soft skills. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think generationally there's a different relationship? Do you think we're worse than we used to be with financial literacy? Uh, I mean, it's it's I, weird. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think generationally, I think gender, I think there's lots of stereotypes to apply to it, none of which really bear out if you look at a broad enough sampling. I think you can have people with very little money who are completely aware of what they have and where it goes, just like you can have people with very little money who have no sense of it, and you move to the opposite end of the income spectrum and you have the exact same thing. So I don't know that there's logically a correlation there. I think... Couples handle it differently. There's some that, you know, share um, joint checking accounts and they do all the things equally. Some have a separation of labor where it's just there are things at home that one spouse takes care of and the other. I don't. I do the spending. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pete, Pete manages and you spend. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for my wife and I, you know, part of because I enjoy doing it, I handle most of the finances. I keep her very up to speed on what we're doing. There are parts of the day-to-day keeping a house and a family together that I don't want to get anywhere near, and she's very good at. So, mm-hmm. But there are couples that sit down and do everything together. So I think, again, it's super individual of what's comfortable, what works within a relationship. Um, I don't know that technology has made this better or worse. Certainly, it's easier to have access to information and, and data and accounts because we all have it in our phone every day. But at the same time, to your earlier point, we've got money flying in 83 directions with mm-hmm. Zelle payments coming in and Venmo going out and automatic debits and all that. So, you know, part of my overall approach to it is just trying to keep it simple. Um, right. Money gets complicated if you let it, but it doesn't have to. Very few people have situations that are actually complicated. We just do it to ourselves. Um, either, you know, usually subconsciously we... You know, you've got 11 accounts open because at one point you, you had a reason for each of them and suddenly you're trying to figure out where money goes and all that. Where it's like, come on, back, just peel the onion back and get it back to what you need right. to keep your, you know, have enough detail to know what's going on, but not so much that you can't keep tabs on things. So what do you think are the 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 pillar pieces that when you're talking with 
the kids, and mm-hmm. I, it's like kids because mm-hmm. I'm 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> the the younger adults yep. that you're working with, what are those key areas that you feel are really important? I mean, Pete's thing was always like, look, certain amount comes in. Like, you can count on it because it's auto pay. Certain mm-hmm. amount goes out because you've got, you know, car payment, rent, electricity. You know, those are pretty standard. Mm-hmm. And then the rest is what you have for all the extras. He's like, yep. it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it is, and there's more. So what are those areas? Yeah, I think at its core, Pete is exactly right. If you don't have a grasp of budgeting and spending, nothing else you do matters. Meaning it's almost a table stake of, do you know how much you have coming in? Most people are salaried, so it's predictable. Mm-hmm. And do you have a monthly budget? Do you know where it's going? This comes back to money doesn't happen to you. You, you control it. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to, to track everything down to the penny. But do you know what your standing bills are? Do you know what your rent is? Do you know what your utilities are? Do you know what your insurance is? Then do you know how much you spend on things? Um, you know, the first basic question is, are you are you running with extra or are you running in a deficit? And I think a lot of people do not know that. And credit card debt, unfortunately, allows us to mask that. Um, so, you know, just are you are you at a break even? Are you running in a surplus or are you running in a deficit? Once you have your hands around that, then you can start making decisions of, you know, what kind of accounts do I need? If I'm saving money and I want to earmark it for things do I need a checking account and a savings account? Um, do I want to be investing? In which case, what kind of things should I be thinking about and what kind of account do I maybe need to open for that? So, you know, you can have a 23-year-old that really should just have one account because that's all they can keep their hands around. Right. Or another who's really got the pieces together and is forward-looking and has money and is earning enough or has savings really under control where they may want two, three, four different accounts. And for each person, that may make sense. So again, it's it's really individual, but I think Pete's basic premise of how much is coming in and how much is going out, I can, I can have a lot of conversations with kids this age who want to, who talk about wanting to invest and want to want to do all these things. They want to save for a house, and it's like, you know, do you have, you have some money set aside in case you lost your job? Like, well, no, but I want to buy stock. Like, you're not ready. Stop. No. Well, like, and it feels like that is with the popularization of these investing apps like Robinhood and, yeah. you know, I have an Acorns account and it's been great. I I set aside, uh, I think it's $50 a month and then I do roundups yep. and, you know, and I just leave it and I forget about it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and that one's fine. You know, it's no big deal. But then, you know, with cryptocurrency and, and yep. all of that stuff, it's like... Kids have gamified it in sure. a way. It's a shiny toy syndrome. Right. Yeah, I work with kids who want to talk about crypto but aren't paying into a 401k where their company will match 100% of what they put in. Right. And it's like, okay, let's just get back to the basics here. There are certain things to consider yourself financially savvy. You just have to do. They aren't even a choice. If you can put aside $2,000 a year and your company will match that $2,000, there's no other investment in the world we can talk about that's going to guarantee you 100% return and provide you a tax deduction. So it's not the sexiest thing. It's not crypto. It's not options. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. But there's reasons why they've been around forever and and they still make a lot of sense. Maybe they need to rename it like 401. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or just call it crypto. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. That is, that is also a possibility. Well, and... You know, I I think about with all the expenses that even, you know, Pete and I have, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, one of these days we need to go through our statement and, you know, where is money? What are the subscriptions yep. that, you know, you sign up for that seeping? you forget mm-hmm. about? And, you know, and that's something that, again, 
I think that kids go through that where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm paying for this game, you know, or I'm paying for Audible. Audible's a, like yep. happens all the time or uh, for extra iCloud storage or whatever it yep. is. And those things add up. Yeah. One of the things I've tried to sh- just at least get young adults to think about is companies have gotten very good at talking about monthly payments and it's only $19 a month. And they say, okay, what's well, $19 a month? And the better question is, is that worth $250 a year to you? Right. Because that's what you're really paying. Yes, they're the same thing. But when you put it in a bigger number and think, wow, I wasn't really aware of that. Um, yeah. I mean, bills just have a way of creeping up and, you know, you're, I do that with my business. Like if yeah. there's a, if there's some kind of a software application or something that I want to have, mm-hmm. I'm like, what's the yearly investment? Right. And I just pay for the year yes. if it's worth it. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that whole monthly thing because then after a year, I'll get a notification that right. it's time to, re-up. you know, to re-up. And then I can make a conscious choice. Yep. Was that $250 worth it yep. for this past year or, or did I never use it? It's the Gold's Gym logic. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of times, I mean, one of the things I think is very hard for young people to understand is when they have money, um, monthly obligations are dangerous. Mm-hmm. If you if you have commitments that exceed what you need, if you've signed a lease on an apartment that you can't really afford or you've got a car payment or you've got something that is just on the first of every month consuming a lot of what you're bringing in, that puts you in a very different financial position than if you live beneath your means and make individual decisions about what you want to buy. I'm a huge fan of keeping monthly obligations down and spending as you see fit for things that are valuable to you versus mm-hmm. – overextending because you just lose your liquidity and your flexibility when that happens. Oh, totally. And, you know, and and people don't realize, like, you can pay when or you can choose typically, like, when you want to pay this. Like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I'd like to switch it to the 15th of the month because mm-hmm. that's when I get paid. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think that so many people don't know mm-hmm. how much control you can have over these things. They're like, yep. we just want your money. Yep. We don't really care when you pay us. Absolutely. Just, you know, pay the money. And I think one of the dangerous things that's starting to creep in now with more and more popularity, especially among young people, because that's who it targets, is this whole buy now, pay later idea, Mm. the Klarna and Afterpay and all these things that say, you know, you want the $100 jacket. Well, it's only $25 every two weeks for the next two months. Well, the reality is you can't afford the jacket yet. it's layaway. Yes, it is. And it's all about... (laughs) Not whether I can afford the car, it's whether I can afford the payment. And when you pivot to that, salespeople are really good at making a payment sound palatable where the total isn't something you would have bitten off. So I think it's the same same coin with a different side, but it leads you to a really different place. Well, very much it's it's really playing into that, going back to your conversation about, you know, what people's relationship with money is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to that emotional side of, mm-hmm. you know, Got to have it. Got to keep up. Everyone's doing it. I deserve it. I deserve it, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, You know, there is so much attached to it. All right. I want to keep chatting about this, but we also need to take a break. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about financial literacy with my guest, Steve Haas. (laughs) 
Have you ever considered working with an image consultant or stylist, but were worried about what the experience would be like? If that sounds like you, then Michael Bruce Image Consulting is here to help. They've worked with thousands of people, and many of those individuals have shared their experiences by way of style stories. Go to michaelbruceimageconsulting.com slash style stories and check out what their delighted clients have to say about their experiences. Stacy Heller is many things, entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to stacyconnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, welcome back to Stacy Connects. I am joined by my good buddy, Steve. We're talking about financial literacy or illiteracy, really. <laughs> uh, and during the break, I mentioned the fact that, you know, like we're in a community and an area where really we and our kids have every advantage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and this is something that some of the kids that you're working with as you mentioned, my son included, uh, they really do have these advantages that mm-hmm. so many other kids don't. And they just don't know. Uh, but then there's that added complexity of the kids that don't have parents that are mm-hmm. able to help or don't know themselves, or maybe they don't have their parents in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, so many kids fall through the system mm-hmm. uh, and don't have mentors, caregivers, parents to help them out. Um, And so it's almost like a delayed learning that can Mm -hmm. happen. Um, What do you do with that? Yeah, it's I arguably have taken the easiest path possible of working with young college graduates, because to your point, they're essentially set up for success. the flip side of what I do on the same topic is I got connected with an organization in Seattle called Peer Seattle. I was introduced to the executive director and sort of brought this idea of financial literacy, except it's in a completely different twist than this group we've been talking about. Um, this organization serves people in the LGBTQ community who are coming out of incarceration, addiction, or homelessness. So it's a very different level of conversation around financial literacy with people who are getting back on their feet and are trying to understand how much do I need to save for an apartment? How much do I need to be able to afford a car? How much do I need to pay off my credit card or student debt? Um, The executive director rightfully told me when I first talked to him, it's going to be very much about meeting people where they are. Um, So the conversations couldn't be more different. And in many ways, they're way more rewarding with that group um, than with the college graduates because these are these are real decisions. These are people mm-hmm. coming off the street or out of prison or living in a shelter who are trying to get their life back together. And the topic is no less or more important to either group. It's just more meaningful and real and raw to, to folks in that situation. Sure. I would imagine that there is, and, and I'm, I'll only speak of my four kids, uh, 
it's almost like they sort of expect it all to work out. There's the safety net of mom and dad. You know, I, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, you know, I've been working with this idea of, uh, you know, letting your kids feel discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're so afraid to let our kids feel that discomfort that we make everything easy. Mm-hmm. And this is a group that has <laughs> experienced discomfort from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, the level of appreciation mm-hmm. and gratitude must just be ex- exponentially higher. Yeah, what's What's great to see is I think um, just playing off the idea that finances shouldn't be complicated, a lot of times there are people who believe they're in a relatively hopeless situation and through the course of a few conversations can start to put together a budget to say, no, no, you can pay off your debt. You can save some money. You can start doing the things again you want to do where they're just so used to not having it or being in debt or being in a dire situation that it almost becomes hopeless. So to your point, the college graduate knows that their worst isn't that bad. For people who are living in a shelter or on the streets or coming out of prison, they've seen a very different definition of, of worst case than our kids ever will. Yeah. Well, and you almost have to change it for them, right? So mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I always uh, joke, which eating disorders are not a laughing matter, as we know, but mm-hmm. I have uh, joked that I have like a reverse disorderly eating where I look in the mirror and instead of seeing uh, you know, a really heavy me, I see a really thin me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, look, I look so great. Uh, and with finances, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like it's how you look at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's staring back at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the folks that you're talking about, it's almost like that scarcity thing has sure. been what they're used to. So mm-hmm. that's always what's staring back. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's got to be really difficult. Yeah. They're just coming from a very different place where. Um, you know, relatively modest income allows them to get back on their feet and have a place to live of their own and be able to buy things that they want that for a number of years may have not been reality for them. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's this really eye-opening process and and very, very often these folks are completely committed to it. Um, I went in in the beginning not knowing sort of where the level of engagement would be um, I can pretty quickly read it, and someone who says, no, no, I, I want to make this better genuinely does and mm-hmm. has probably hit bottom at some point for some reason and is looking to really make a material change in their life. And and it's interesting to see how, you know, for right or wrong, money, unfortunately, is a huge part of that. Um, it's kind of the center of what allows us to do things or where we live or if we have a car or anything like that. And it uh, it's just fascinating to see people's relationship with money and, to your point, how you can start out with a really negative lens and realize that there may actually be hope. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I mean, let's face it, money, uh, money provides, you know, the basics of food and mm-hmm. shelter, right? Mm-hmm. And then it also uh, opens up doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like quite literally – you know, every movie that you see or, you know, whatever, where it's like, oh, let me slip the person 20 bucks and, you know, open the door and get mm-hmm. past this place or do this or do that. Uh, but to have to change your relationship to come from a place of uh, to go from a place of scarcity to abundance mm-hmm. and where you see that it is opening doors mm-hmm. and first to those basics and then to other opportunity. Mm-hmm is huge. Well, and what's interesting, a lot of the folks I work with, they're 
this was not how they, their life was not always this way. Many of them had successful careers. Many of them had families where addiction or mental illness or something else derailed it Mm -hmm. to where, you know, they, they have seen both sides of it and are not looking to get back to a six figure income that they once had. They're looking to have an apartment of their own and be able to, to buy food every week. Um, So yeah, the level of gratitude is very different. And the, the lens through which you look again, it comes back to, there's nothing more personal than our, each of our relationships with money. And, you know, one thing that I think is, is interesting is even the difference between, you know, like my oldest to my youngest Mm -hmm. and the relationship with career and making money and security, Mm -hmm. uh, both recognize that money allows for a certain amount of security. However, how my oldest perceives, you know, her job and what she's doing as being associated with security and how my youngest sees it, you know, he's like, I don't want to be, you know, Google employee number, you know, 2 million and 71. And, you know, he doesn't see that as being the typical way anymore. Yeah, I think this generation is putting a lot more weight on happiness and fulfillment and contentment than previous ones for which the size of your paycheck was really the barometer of how successful or happy you were. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, again, very individual. We've got two kids, a 23-year-old girl who, for whom money is important. She wants to be able to do things. She's not going to chase the dollar and she's going to do things that are valuable to her, but self-aware that money matters to me. Um, our son is much different. He will find value in doing something that he finds fulfilling and rewarding and is super aware that that likely won't come with a big paycheck and he is just fine with that. So I think this generation is framing up the whole conversation differently and putting more sort of fundamental things on the table of, is that going to make me happy? Is that going to fulfill me? Is Am I going to find that rewarding? Um, or am I just doing something for a paycheck and I'm going to burn out? Where I think a lot of us thought that's kind of what you do. Um, and this generation's right. challenging that. Which is why it's that much more important for there to be awareness about financial literacy. Because, you know, it is great that you're not chasing the paycheck. Mm-hmm. And you need to be aware, going back to Pete's thing, okay, you know, how much is coming in mm-hmm. and how much is going off and what does that leave you with? Yep. And, uh, you know, it becomes that much more important to chase your passion uh, is awesome. It's what we should all do. We mm-hmm. would we would be happier. And then we also can't chain or uh, chase the Instagram perfect life. Yeah, I think there's a real hold up the mirror moment when when the kid says why well, money's not important to me. Um, that's great. Let's talk about what that means. Let's right. talk about what you may not have that you're used to having or that you thought you would have that this won't allow you to. And I think a lot of kids are saying that's fine and they mean it. And I think a lot of kids at that moment pause and say, well, wait, I, I don't get a new car or I can't travel or right. whatever it is. And but I can still get those really cute new Burks that are out, right? Right. If, <laughs> if your definition of a splurge is $120 pair of Burks, that's great. If it's a new car every three years, that's probably not going to work if you're chasing something that may not be as lucrative, but you find fulfilling. So again, super individual. Yeah. Well, and and this is something so... You know, not only is there the kids that we talked about where, in theory, have every advantage, however, mom and dad or whomever it is that is raising the kids isn't having the conversation. It's not being discussed in school. Then you've got uh, the group that you're working with 
that, you know, are really part of these, uh, unfortunately, fringes of opportunity in society, mm-hmm. right? Uh and then there's the other area that I'm like, Steve, you got to work with women that are uh, either trying to become aware of this stuff or maybe they are divorcees mm-hmm. and, you know, they have no idea. I think about uh, shout out to my mom who when my dad really started to get ill, she really educated herself on what they had, where it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's happening, who the attorneys are, like just, you know, all of those things, like the big picture. And so there's that whole next age and stage mm-hmm. where, you know, I'd be like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that leaves you struggling. And it then is another whole area. I mean, so this this uh, epidemic of financial mm-hmm. illiteracy it spans all ages and stages of life. Yeah, there's no I, – I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a demographic for whom there isn't an opportunity um, with at least some set, subset of people in there to become more familiar, comfortable, purposeful with money. Um, I read something a couple of weeks ago that you know the average American realizes they lose seven or $800 a year just by bad financial decisions. And whether that's debt they took that's on. That's it? Or, that surprises me. It's that it, little. It, it's self-reported, so it's probably very low. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it crosses every span. I mean, you and I have talked about divorcees or widows. Um, you know, I never had this vision of talking to people, you know, coming out of homelessness and addiction. There's, there's every subset or category that you can envision. There's a compelling need um, and a real shortage of resources. So it's a, it's an interesting one that I think is getting more and more awareness. And I think at the moment, we're really good at sort of looking at the problem. I don't think there is any scalable solution that's out there. You've got the idea of, of a separate school. I think the earlier comment that schools should teach it, absolutely. Real-world skills should be part of what you come out of high school with, whether it's how to balance a checkbook or how you use a credit card or how to make a doctor's appointment for yourself or just basic things. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's not today's reality, sadly. Well, and, you know, uh, the kids have all of these social and emotional uh, lessons at school, mm-hmm. you know, so it's they take time out of the school and districts have it as part of their curriculum and commitment to the kids social emotional growth. You know, so they talk about drinking and driving and addiction and, you know, these kinds of things. And that's great. I it's absolutely necessary. And. There's so much more that you can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel I feel like I could I could get flack for this, but it's like the classes, like not woodshop per se, but the basic skills like how to sew a button, how to open your checking account, how to fill out a job application. How to address an envelope. Right. I know. Yeah, and I don't know where this where the slack in the line should come from. Our 19-year-old son will tell you that it learning cursive wasn't real valuable since nobody uses it anymore. He'll tell you that some layers of math where the teacher said, well, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. And the answer today, and right or wrong, is yes, I actually do always have a calculator with me. Um, Exactly. I just feel like there are enough things that we could shave a little from here and there to find a, a relatively small amount of time to teach kids what would be invaluable life skills that I think would allow them to sort of launch with more purpose and confidence than we're doing today. So uh, to that end, are you prepared to come up with uh, 
little capsules lessons that you can share with the world? I mean, come on. I, I think the most basic one is Pete's. Is, is If you're starting out or if you're in a spot where finances, you don't have clarity to them, Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's overwhelming. But we can't fix what we can't see. Get it on paper. Mm-hmm. How much do you have coming in and where is it going? Right. And if there's more going out, what lifestyle changes can you make? What 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 indulgences can you cut right. to get to at least a break even? And if you're not at a break even, you're not in a sustainable spot and something has to change. And yep. the job. S- sadly, the... it's only two things. You either need to make more or spend less. Um and, you know, most times the first one is hard to do quickly, so it falls to spending. But I'm a big believer that you, you can fix what you can see. And I think too many people just leave it out there because it's scary and I don't quite understand it. And I'm not sure I'm going to like the answer. Therefore, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand versus getting it on paper and going, OK, I now have a point of view on where my money is and what I want to do with it, not yep. what it does to me. Well, and it's, you know, and it's fixed, right? It's a Mm -hmm. fixed inflow. It's a fixed outflow. And I really think that you nailed it with the, like, I don't want to know because then I'm going to have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And the choice may be uncomfortable and it may mean that I can't go to Starbucks every day. Yep. And, you know, it may mean that I have to move in with a roommate or Mm -hmm. get a different apartment Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And uh, those are tough decisions. And yet... Again, going back to my whole discomfort thing, uh, one could argue that growth comes from discomfort. Absolutely. And I think coming from an area where we're relatively comfortable, I'm not sure we do our kids a service by never really having them want for things growing up. Um, you know, they, they, they come to the working world with the sense of I can kind of have all the basics that I want. And the answer is if, if there's not some funding help coming, that's probably not realistic for a while. And that's not only okay, it's actually a really good growing opportunity that teaches you how to assess what is important to you and and really redefine wants versus needs. Mm -hmm. I think this young generation is really good at identifying needs, many of which I would put into the want bucket. Um, You know, having your your hair colored every two weeks is a want, not a need for a 23-year-old girl. Now, we can debate that, and I have a daughter who would be very passionate on the other side of it. But <laughs> I think from an objective point of view, what many of them consider needs are actually wants. And it forces you to say, I either need to work harder and make more money, or I have to say, what do I really need? And, and of this list of things, what's truly important to me and brings me joy? Yep, 100%. I so agree. Uh, if people want to connect with you or the organization that you're working with and learn more about that, how can they connect with you? Hadn't really uh, thought about that. No, you? I had not. Um, I mean, who knows? There I, might be somebody out there that's like, hey. Steve I would has. say to have them reach out through you and you can probably connect us. There you go. There we go. You heard it here. Yeah. Uh, and the organization that you said that you work with is? The organization I work, work with is Pure Seattle. Okay. Um, they're part of a broader Pure Northwest, I believe, is the parent organization with chapters in Tacoma and Spokane and other places like that. So there you go. So you can it. also learn more about that. Uh, that, of course, I... I love that you have been a resource for my kids, for Will, and I love even more that you're a resource for those people out there that don't have other resources. Uh, It's amazing. No, it's just a topic that, for whatever reason, it probably says a lot about me in some warped way, that something (laughs) I have a passion about that I really find value in teaching to other people and, and seeing the immediacy of 
how confident someone can become after feeling really overwhelmed in the beginning. It's a relatively short window from which there's some pretty instant gratification. It's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for having me. And uh, hey, everybody. Remember, if you want to connect with me, you can go to my Stacy Talks Instagram account. You can also find me at StacyConnects.com. So if you want to find Steve, find me. Have a great week, everyone. Stay connected. Stay connected.